Hey, welcome to this Good Friday edition of Wayfair. We'll also have a special Easter edition out as well. It'll be available on Sunday morning in time for your drive to church, if you like. Now, we've journeyed together for some time now, through ups and downs, on straightaways and around some hairpin curves, and now we find ourselves at the end of our Lenten journey. Our feet are dusty. We're bleary-eyed from this wilderness road. We follow Jesus through his ministry to those who find themselves on the margins. We've heard his teachings that have turned the status quo upside down. We've stood in the crowd through his humble entry into Jerusalem. We saw his anger at the injustices of corrupt systems. We watched his last meal with the disciples heard his anguish in the garden, his betrayal, and his arrest. And now, on this Good Friday, we find ourselves at the foot of a small hill, the shadows playing tricks along its crags, leaving the visage of a skull In a few hours, the streets will swarm with shouts and curses as three men stumble their way up this grimacing knoll. But for now, we wait and we watch together. Led on by rumors, half in hope I'd come, much like the rest, but half in doubt as well. Was Nazareth the home he'd traveled from? Words vexed to paradox and parable? It crowds grew larger still, with stunning things, the ill restored, the dead, brought back to life, renewed by living love his spirit brings. Shalom remade an end to wretched strife. But then, a different crowd with clubs and swords, led on by one disciple, stopped away, menacing guardsmen glaring wordless words, their shadows stretched out by the rising day. I wondered, must it all come down to this? Dull, sullen guardsmen and a faithless kiss?
There's a beautiful line from Jürgen Boltmann's The Crucified God. He says, Sinners are beautiful because they are loved. They are not loved because they are beautiful. What is the starting point of God loving us? Is it because God sees in us something worthy to be loved? Or is it because God's character of love begins the whole relationship? If I'm always having to prove myself in order to be accepted, whether that's by a parent or a spouse or God, then I'm never really experiencing love. I'm just always striving to earn it. The beauty of the Christian religion and the Hebraic faith of which it grows out of is that God starts loving us before we even know there is an us. That we are birthed in love, that we are nurtured in God's love, that we are redeemed by God's love. Even for the person who was born without loving parents, or for the person who has had loving parents ripped from them because of an early death, God is still loving, maybe in a way that's deeper than the love that is transferred from good, healthy human relationships. In the Hebrew Scriptures, God says to those who are orphaned, who have no parents, I'm your parent. God cannot but love us because God is love. And we walk through Holy Week with a profound appreciation of how deep and wide and comprehensive is God's love. At daybreak, the chief priests with the elders, legal experts, and the whole Sanhedrin formed a plan. They bound Jesus, led him away, and turned him over to Pilate. Pilate questioned him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, That's what you say. The chief priests were accusing him of many things. Pilate asked him again, Aren't you going to answer? What about all these accusations? But Jesus gave no more answers, so that Pilate marveled. During the festival, Pilate released one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. A man named Barabbas was locked up with the rebels who had committed murder during an uprising. The crowd pushed forward and asked Pilate to release someone, as he regularly did. Pilate answered them, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? He knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of jealousy. 
but the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release Barabbas to them instead. Pilate replied, Then what do you want me to do with the one you call King of the Jews? They shouted back, Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Why? What wrong has he done? They shouted even louder, Crucify him. Pilate wanted to satisfy the crowd, so he released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus whipped, then handed him over to be crucified. I think in part the cross says to us that this is the image of the new creation. In Christ, there is a new heaven and a new earth, a new construction on how we understand reality, which asks us to identify with that which is different from us and that which is even offensive to us. You are no longer resigned to a category or a stereotype. I must be open to you as God has been open to me. And God's openness will invite the full range of human experience. Things that were glorious and wonderful and admirable, but also the things that are shameful and despicable and just quite ugly. And God is not playing a game with us. God's not patting us on the head and saying, hey, good boys, good girls, it's all cool. No, God is saying, I'm with you. I'm with you when it's great, and I'm with you when it's far from great. And so why the cross? The cross assures us that there's no depth, no darkness, no abandonment that we experience that God is not willing to reach. The soldiers led Jesus away into the courtyard of the palace known as the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole company of soldiers They dressed him up in a purple robe and twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on him. They saluted him, Hey, King of the Jews. Again and again they struck his head with a stick. They spit on him and knelt before him to honor him. When they finished mocking him, they stripped him of the purple robe and put his own clothes back on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. Simon, a man from Cyrene, Alexander and Rufus' father, was coming in from the countryside. They forced him to carry his cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means skull place. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he didn't take it. They crucified him. 
they divided up his clothes, drawing lots for them to determine who would take what. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The notice of the formal charge against him was written, The King of the Jews. They crucified two outlaws with him, one on his right and one on his left. People walking by insulted him, shaking their heads and saying, Ha, so you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, were you? Save yourself and come down from that cross. In the same way, the chief priests were making fun of him among themselves, together with the legal experts. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross. Then we'll see and believe. Even those who had been crucified with Jesus insulted him. One of the traditional ways this has always been said is that if God is for us, who can be against us? But too often, we interpret that to mean God is for us when we are good. The cross says to us that God is for us even when we're bad, that when we were yet sinners, Christ still died for us. So God is always for us, and God is always on our side, even when we're on the wrong side. So the cross of Christ that allows God's presence to be lowered into the shameful shadow of death assures us that even when I'm on the wrong side of things, God is still there loving me, caring for me, present with me, and redeeming me. God is able to turn my life around because God has gone to such lengths to be in solidarity with me. So if God is for me, who can be against me has greater power in realizing God is for me even when I'm against myself and against the higher purposes and possibilities of my life that God is still cheering for me and redeeming me and loving me in a way in which I am now free to lay these burdens down, to no longer carry them, to give them to the Jesus who has died upon this cross and to the God who has gone to these incredible lengths to assure me of this love. And that's how I can be assured that I am redeemed. I am redeemed not to prove myself worthy. I am redeemed because I am loved.
Until three in the afternoon, the whole earth was dark. At three, Jesus cried out with a loud shout, Eli, Eli, lama shabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you left me? After hearing him, some standing there said, Look, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran filled a sponge with sour wine, and put it on a pole. He offered it to Jesus to drink, saying, Let's see if Elijah will come to take him down. But Jesus let out a loud cry and died. The curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who stood facing Jesus, saw how he died, he said, This man was certainly God's son. You often hear it said, There are no atheists in foxholes. Maybe that's because that's the place where you most experience the presence of God. when you're in the deep trench that you experience the true heart of God. Some women were watching from a distance, including Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger one, and Joseph, and Salome. When Jesus was in Galilee, these women had followed and supported him, along with many other women who had come to Jerusalem with him. Since it was late in the afternoon on preparation day, just before the Sabbath, Joseph from Arimathea dared to approach Pilate and ask for Jesus' body. Joseph was a prominent council member who also eagerly anticipated the coming of God's kingdom. Pilate wondered if Jesus was already dead. He called the centurion and asked him whether Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that Jesus was dead, Pilate gave the dead body to Joseph. He bought a linen cloth, took Jesus down from the cross, wrapped him in the cloth, and laid him in a tomb that had been carved out of a rock. He rolled a stone against the entrance to the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was buried. (laughs) 